Episode 2 The Inerrant Word of God and Jesus the Lawyer Welcome to The Hidden Bible A podcast about The Strange The Obscure The Confusing Do I dare to say it? The contradictory passages of the Christian Bible. I am your host, Deacon Harvey Santiago, a Catholic permanent deacon from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And you are listening to The Hidden Bible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so glad we have so many people here in the studio tonight. I believe that tonight we have more people than in our first episode. Welcome to The Hidden Bible, the podcast about the lesser-known passages of the Bible. I am your host, Deacon Harvey. I hope you have been enjoying this summer. Here in Maryland, we had been having some of the most spectacular days of the year. I have been very busy lately, so it has taken me a bit longer to produce this episode. But thanks to the Lord, I was able to squeeze some minutes here and there, and here we are. Also, I have been checking out options for hosting the podcast. Originally, my intention was to use my blog, www.deaconharbay.com, to host the podcast episodes. But after giving it some thought, I have decided to place it in its own website. So hopefully between now and the end of the year, I will be able to announce this. Today, we will be taking a look at a doctrine which, in my opinion, causes the most consternation to non-Christians. The Bible as the inerrant or without error word of God. I would imagine that confronted with literally hundreds of books, websites, and TV specials pointing to inaccuracies shortcomings, and what might look like contradictions in the Bible, non-Christians find themselves asking, if Christians believe in a God which is infinitely powerful and has infinite knowledge, why do they accept an ancient document filled with all these problems as his inerrant, meaning without error, word? I think this is a very valid question. However, I have to say it is a question based on the wrong assumption. The idea that without error means the same as perfect. It is easy to show that something which contains no errors could be less than perfect. We could say, for example, that this podcast contains no errors, 
but when produced and published, it contains many things which make it less than perfect. We can say that my accent makes it difficult to understand what I'm saying, or that the recording volume or the background noise introduce inaccuracy which, although there, do not make anything I say wrong. The same goes for what the majority of Christians believe about the Bible. We do not claim that this work, as it is written today, is perfect. In fact, most Christians believe that the Bible is a very difficult book to understand and read, a difficulty that a perfect literary work could not, by necessity, have. What do we mean when we say that the Bible is without error? Well, the Catholic Church has articulated this in a document from the Second Vatican Council. Let me paraphrase it for you. It says, If everything asserted by the people who wrote the original books which composed the Bible must be held to be asserted by God, it follows then that the books of Scripture must be acknowledged as teaching solidly, faithfully, and without error the truth that God wanted to communicate to us. However, since God speaks in sacred scripture through men in human fashion, to find the correct meaning of God's words, the interpreter of the Bible should carefully investigate what meaning the writers really intended and what God wanted to manifest by means of their words. Paying attention to the customary and characteristic styles of feeling, speaking, and narrating, which prevail at the time in which these books were written, and to the patterns men normally employed at that period in their everyday dealings with one another. Before I get any males complaining about, well, that is what Catholics believe, but what about Protestants? The only thing I could say is this. Protestants do not have a central authority like Catholics, which could express an official doctrine of inerrancy. And I'll admit that there is a wide variety of beliefs about this in the Protestant camp. However, this does not stop some prominent Protestant leaders from expressing a belief about the Bible as the inerrant word of God, which seems similar to the Catholic position. Here, I'm quoting from a statement from a declaration of about 200 Protestant leaders back in 1978. The complete document is entitled The Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, and it tries to explain what is the Protestant doctrine of inerrancy. Here, I quote, Strictly speaking, the inspiration necessary to place the Word of God into written form applies only to the original text of Scripture, which in the providence of God can be ascertained from available manuscripts with great accuracy. We further affirm that copies and translations of Scripture 
are the word of God to the extent that they faithfully represent the original. As you can see, Christians live quite comfortably with the idea that in some parts of the Bible, the word of God is less than clear, and with the idea that inaccuracies are due to the human writer and not to the message God wants to communicate to us. Before we continue with today's show, there are two more points I would like to make. First, there is, in fact, a group of Christians which believe that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible, meaning perfect, Word of God, and that everything we encounter in this work about history, science, and religion must be believed. These tend to be evangelical, and sadly are given way too much exposure in the media, to the point that the average non-Christian thinks that this is the belief of the majority of believers. The second point I would like to make is a question which might be in the minds of some of you at the moment. If God possesses all power and knowledge, for certain he could produce a document without all the issues the Bible presents. I have what I think is a very good answer to this question, which you will hear in our next podcast episode. Now, I would like to move into a segment I like to call, Did Jesus really say that? You might be wondering what this segment is all about. Today and in future podcasts, we will take an in-depth look into some of the words of Jesus, which might sound strange to the modern reader. Today we will be looking at some of the words of the Lord recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Here is the reading. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. Why are we looking at these verses? Well, because of verse 4. In it, we hear Jesus quoting from the book of Exodus chapter 20 and 21. And he declared, For God said, Honor your father and mother, 
and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. You got that? Jesus is saying that he is okay with parents murdering their children for being disrespectful. At least that is the interpretation that some atheists claimed in a Twitter debate I had a couple of years ago. At the time I wrote a blog post answering to this claim, since then I have had a chance to do some more research on this passage, so I figure it would be good to address it right here in the Hidden Bible. To be fair, I will concede that someone with no idea of Jesus' teachings and the things he stood for, when presented with this isolated verse, could make the claim that Jesus is in fact advocating the murder of children. However, interpreting this long passage in this way is problematic for two reasons. First, this is a passage belonging to a conversation, so we should not take it out of its context to make a claim. The proper way of looking at it is by listening to the whole conversation. Secondly, this interpretation goes against what we know of the man and his disciples. The way Jesus talks about small children in other parts of the Gospels and the way he treated them do not match the attitude expressed by this claim. Furthermore, the way his followers treated children, especially unwanted newborns at the time this gospel was written, serves as further proof that the readers for which this gospel was written understood that Jesus had something else in mind when he spoke these words. In short, this overly literal interpretation does not stand to the literary and historical realities of this passage. The question then is, what is going on in this reading? This is where we are going to spend our time today. Let's start from the beginning, verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. The first thing we notice is that Jesus is talking to some people called Pharisees and teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem to ask him a question about the washing of hands of his disciples. I should mention that in Jesus' time, ritual cleanliness was of the utmost importance to the most orthodox of Jews. It was a great sin to be in a state of uncleanliness. To their question, Jesus answers with his own, verses 3 and 4. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. What is going on in these few verses? Well, recall our previous episode where we said that the Bible is composed of many writing styles. In this passage, what we are reading is what by today's standards could be considered a legal argument. We know from experience that when legal experts engage in discussions of this type, they quote established law to make their points. This is what Jesus, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law are doing. They are quoting law to each other. I should take this opportunity to indicate that in these type of conversations, quoting law does not imply agreement with this law. I could, for example, quote Roe versus Wade without agreeing at all with the practice of abortion. I bring this up because this is another nail in the coffin of the interpretation which says Jesus advocated the murder of children, which is another nail in the coffin of the interpretation which says that because Jesus is quoting this law, he advocates the murder of children. But let's go back to the text. This is Jesus speaking now. Verse 5 and 6. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. As you can see, Jesus not only quotes the law, but criticizes the way his adversaries interpret these laws for their own advantage. These verses are extremely important for our discussion, because in no part of the Bible can we find where this exception to the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, was ever given. This interpretation is a later development in Jewish law, the result of much reflection in the two passages of Exodus Jesus used to introduce his argument. Here we must pause and take a look at how these laws were created and how their interpretation evolved. A quick search will find that these two laws come from one of the oldest books in the Bible, Exodus. Here is the first law quoted. Exodus chapter 20th verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. The context of this law is the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. It was given as one of the first ten laws the Jewish people received directly from God. The second law goes like this. Exodus 21, verse 17. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. The context of this law is not the Decalogue. 
We find this law in a section of the book of Exodus dealing with personal or physical injury. In fact, just two verses before this passage, we see a very similar law. Exodus 21st verse 15. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. So here we have two laws, one dealing with physical attack and one dealing with personal attacks. And both injuries to parents are treated in the same way. In fact, in the original Hebrew, the word used for attack is really a Hebrew word which refers to a physical attack which could cause death. This is very significant since it puts Exodus 21:17 in context. The personal injury we're talking about is not caused by just the uttering of a curse against your mother or father, but by an action which can cause a great personal injury or affront to them. Words spoken in haste by an angry child do not qualify as a violation of this law. There's another instance of this law in the Jewish holy books. It is found in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20th verse 9. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death because they have cursed their mother or father. Their blood will be on their own head. Looking at this verse, one has to ask, what kind of curse will cause blood in the hands of a person who does the cursing? Our previous point is becoming more clear. The curse being punished with death is not just the simple ramblings of an upset child, but the type of offense that would bring great dishonor and damage to a parent and get blood in the hands of the child. With all this in mind, when we look at Jesus' words, we realize that he is not only quoting established legal precedents known to his opponents, but he is challenging the interpretation the leaders of the Jewish people were giving to this law. What was this interpretation? You see, during the times of Jesus, there were no social nets like we have today. For a person to become unable to work was a sure sentence to destitution or even starvation and death, unless this person had children. The grown children of elderly parents were expected to take care of them, and in fact, it was expected that part of their income was to be given to the care of their parents. Unless... This money was to be given to cover other charities. 
The Pharisees and teachers of the law were using this as a loophole to release themselves and others from the responsibility of taking care of their elderly parents. The curse Jesus is speaking about is the life of poverty and destitution this practice caused on the elderly. In Jesus' eyes, a child which refuses to take care of his parents and neglects his social responsibilities is liable of death. Jesus is not only quoting law to them, but challenging the way they were interpreting this law for their own advantage. It is clear now that Jesus is not advocating the murder of children, but calling his opponents to accept the responsibility in God's eyes of honoring their parents in their old age. There is one more point I would like to add. This episode in itself is very important for another reason. There is a parallel passage in the book of Mark which gives a completely different interpretation of this event. In fact, placed side by side, one can make the claim that these two passages contradict each other. But we will look at this issue in a future show. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for tonight. I hope you have found this show interesting. Again, if you would like to send some feedback, or if there is any Bible issue you would like me to address, you can email me at thehiddenbible at gmail.com. Again, thehiddenbible at gmail.com. And remember that The Hidden Bible is all one word. There is also a Facebook page where you can get information about previous episodes or just chat and ask questions. The page is The Hidden Bible Podcast. As promised, next time we will answer the question, why can't God use more clarity when communicating his words? And we will be addressing one of the most disturbing passages in the Bible. I'm talking about Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11 and 12, in which it is stated that the punishment for a woman who tries to break a fight between her husband and a stranger by grabbing the stranger by his genitals, ouch, should have her hand cut off. Double ouch. Lastly, through the intercession of Saint Stephen the Syrian, deacon and doctor of the church, may the blessings of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. And remember, Viva Cristo Rey! <laughs>